This is Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. It's March 25th, Wednesday, and Irish Illustrated Insider is back after a couple-week break. No changes at Notre Dame. Still a ghost town, to use Jack Swarbrick's words in a recent interview with Irish Illustrated. And we're going to start with that interview with Jack Swarbrick. I, I, I don't think that since we last gathered that it was officially announced that Notre Dame spring practices were canceled and that has been the case. I did have uh, the interview with Jack Swarbrick, guys, and uh, what we used in the headline was, quote, there's no chapter in the manual for this, and there certainly isn't with uh, the coronavirus. No, it's, you know, Notre Dame, I think Swarbrick made this point in your interview that they were, I think, on the earlier side of the cancellation of spring practice. Um, You know, that all sort of came together within about 24 hours, because I think when you guys recorded the last podcast. It was still on, and I was in conversations with a couple of parents of players, and there was some confusion about, you know, sort of why are you bringing everyone back so quickly? There's a lot of just sort of unknowns at this point. Um, and then I think by the time you guys, this podcast was posted, or as you guys were recording it on Thursday of two weeks ago, uh, they'd come to the decision that, you know, it, it's out. And I think it was the timeline there was something similar to the NBA canceled on Wednesday night. And then, um, NHL Thursday morning, Notre Dame Thursday right at noon. But uh, yeah, I mean, Torvik is right. There's no there's no real manual for this in terms of how do you recruit, how do you feed, how do you train, uh, how do you get back in shape, assuming you know the football season does go as planned, that Notre Dame does play in Dublin. Um, I, I'm not really sure what the workarounds were that, but they're going to need a lot of leeway with the NCAA, which seems like the the NCAA will probably go there when it comes to eligibility and timelines and contact hours and all that kind of stuff. Cause Notre Dame and everybody else is going to need that. Yeah. We speculated a little bit. I think Tim made the point that look, there's just going to have to probably be Sunday or summer practices allowed. Yeah. And without spring happening, you have, to, they just have to be ready for contact. You know, I heard NBA players talking about um, how hard it's going to be for them because they're not banging bodies. Imagine football. How many people will get hurt if you're not banging bodies to prepare for a season? You can't just go into a football season. Um, it wouldn't just be little sprains and stuff that the NBA players might get if they have a truncated playoffs. But there's no manual, and we have no idea if uh, the summer would allow this to happen either. There's, there's no way of knowing this. The first order of business that, you know, when we we did the interview, and, and as you mentioned, Pete, I mean, everything was happening happening real rapidly there. Things were yeah. changing by the hour and uh, Swarbrick laughed about how he, he, he kept, he kept conference calling um, his, his coaches in the various sports and his message had to change like every couple hours because that's how rapidly it was changing nationally. But um, you know, he said, uh, well, first of all, the first order of business was getting the athletes home, the spring athletes. And I did a story with, with Link Jarrett, the, the baseball coach in Notre Dame, they were literally, pulling up to, to Louisville here, they were coming off a three game sweep at North Carolina and they're, they're going to mighty Louisville for batting practice. Louisville's a, a top five team in the country and they didn't even get off the bus. They turned around, went back and before they knew it, they, they were flying kids home. And Swarbrick said, you know, you're, you're, you're always looking at finances, but in a situation like that, it's just like, get them home and we'll, we'll figure everything else out after that. But he, you know, he also said that Brian Kelly was kind of hit, uh, ahead of the curve. And was saying to Swarbrick, "You're going to, you're going to, everything's going to be canceled, right?" And and Swarbrick was actually literally going into a meeting to determine that everything uh, was canceled. And Notre Dame was the third uh, football program to to actually cancel spring practice. You wonder how much their players being gone on spring break. Many, well, nobody around South Bend really. If you're going away for spring break, but also out of the country, had to do with Brian Kelly knowing we can't we can't do this. We can't be bringing people back to campus because that had to be something that crossed his mind. When the campus closes down for that reason, your players think, aren't coming back. Yeah. Here. I mean, I, the university realized, okay, we're coming off spring break. A lot of these kids were <clears throat> out of the country, across the country. I mean, putting themselves, of course, when they're on campus, they would be exposed to, to, to people with uh, the coronavirus as well. So, I mean, it just, it all happened so rapidly and it, it quickly from an hour to hour basis was determined that this, we can't bring, we not only can we not bring, we can't bring the football players back. We can't bring any of the students back. Yeah. And that was the, the semester was 
sort of put on indefinite pause with distance learning before I think the football program announced it. And as soon as basically, as soon as Notre Dame says, we're going to treat all the students this way for safety, there's no way in hell you're going to be like, but football, football, come back. Um, So, I mean, it's a prudent, smart, safe decision by Notre Dame. Um, Yeah. And it was interesting. I think it was the last line your story, Tim, about Sorbic saying like, you know, he's been wrong about 80% right. of the time on, on this kind of stuff. Very rarely do you hear him talk about uh, you know, things where he's sort of miscalculated or um, sort of viewed it one way and it went the other way. Um, but I mean, that's, this is unfortunately the world that we're living in right now. The, um, the other thing, another thing that Sorbic brought up was, you know, in addition to um, go home, isolate, do what you need to do to stay healthy. Uh, you know, online classes began this week on Monday. And, um, you know, there's some concern there. Notre Dame's not an online school, so to speak. And so there's some concern there, especially with the student athletes, because that's who Jack Swarbrick oversees, that, uh, you know, make sure that this is all handled properly. I'm sure that I'm sure they're computer savvy enough to, to, to handle that, but it's just another variable that you have. I'm not, they, they would be, I'm yeah. not. <laughs> you went but, to Notre Dame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah we're a student athlete. A couple, a couple generations removed. Yeah. Uh, Jack and a, Jack and attest to, to, to my computer skills, but uh, yeah, that, it's just another factor that Jack Swarbrick in the athletic department had to consider that we have to make sure that they know how to execute quote, going to class online. Pete and I know all about e-learning, right, Pete? It's been a blast. Yes. It's, uh, with, yeah, it's been with a real good With kids, it's a real good time. Am I done? No, you're not done. It was yeah. one thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a yeah, feeling. I mean, I think there was, I mean, Notre Dame, there was a story in the South Bench Tribune about a petition going around from Notre Dame students that, uh, based on the math, seemed to indicate that about half Notre Dame's undergraduate body had signed somehow um that they were going to move to a pass fail situation which oh, right. is not uncommon nationally right now um you know just from a mac um, a micro eligibility standpoint for the football program i would think that notre dame football would be banging the drum on that all day because like there's i mean brian kelly it's not that long ago where he talked about basically every student on every player on his roster was an at-risk student other than steve elmer um, I think it was summer, maybe three years ago. Might he was be the a slight exaggeration. <laughs> yeah, slight exaggeration, but you know, there's a lot of truth to no, that. I no mean, doubt. if you just said eighty percent or sixty percent, I mean, there, it would be an eligibility nightmare for Notre Dame and a lot of other schools if um, the grades of this semester impacted your eligibility in the fall. Again, assuming that the fall goes yeah. on as as we hope it does. Um, I mean, if I, I think it from a Notre Dame standpoint and a Notre Dame football standpoint, that would probably be a, a prudent move because these are just unprecedented times that we're living in. Drew Tranquil and Sam Mustafer were probably not at risk either. No, but it was no, a good, it was still a good fine. quote by Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let, let's uh, let, let's jump to a couple other topics here before we get into segment two, burning up the boards. But uh, on the recruiting front, Notre Dame lost wide receiver Dion Colsey. Uh, he was verbally committed since October. Nordame still has a chance of of him ultimately signing with them, uh, but usually these situations don't work out really well. And there's a trickle down effect there because Lorenzo Styles is the other quote receiver that is verbally committed. But I I like him much better as a cornerback prospect. But it may prompt them to think a little bit differently. Not that they would play the exact same wide receiver position, but uh, they are both wide receivers, and it might prompt them to think a little bit differently about styles. Dante Thornton is another long wide receiver from Baltimore. I think Nordin would have a pretty good chance of, of landing him to quote, replace Colsey. I made sure that I put a film, my film review in when, when providing um, video evaluations of the other prospects, because Colsey's not a finished product. I'm not trying to dismiss the importance of losing him because I mean, that's a tall receiver with tremendous upside, and it's a huge loss. Uh, but I remember when he verbally committed that uh, one local reporter said he's a plug-and-play player, and he was, he was never that. But he is a really good prospect, and it's a significant loss for Notre Dame. I mean, I sort of view it as I, if you're trying to compete with Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, you can't lose these kinds of players. Right. Um, I, it makes no difference if you're just trying to beat Navy and Stanford and Pittsburgh. Um, so that's just, this is the neighborhood Notre Dame is trying to move into right now. Um, 
when Clemson, Alabama, if they lose players like this, they have Dante Thornton and then probably uh, somebody else on top of that uh, ready to come in. Notre Dame probably doesn't. Not, uh, I, yeah, Dante, like for Notre Dame, they, I don't know that they have another big receiver other than Dante Thornton, yeah. you know, right on their radar. So, I mean, and the just, Styles point is a really good one, too, because I, I wasn't even looking at it in terms of defensive positional flexibility. Because, like, look, if you were loaded at receiver, you could probably bump Xavier Watts over there right now, but you're not because um, you had a class of Cam Hart and Kendall Abdul-Rahman before them, which is well, not, good, not good enough at Notre Dame. Losing Colsey also means that Xavier Watts and Jordan Johnson both have to hit for real at wide receiver yeah. because mm-hmm. they had, there's nothing coming in behind them. And as you mentioned, in the Cam Hart class, Cam Hart's at corner. Yeah. <laughs> because of other needs. Yeah, the, the trickle-down right. effect is, what, is what's huge here. And I think Pete made a good point is getting into the new neighborhood gets harder when you lose a guy like Colsey, it's, it's never the end of the world to lose one guy. But the problem is when you are reliant upon one or two guys in each class, then it becomes a bigger problem. Well, and there, and I realize that Colsey's, he's been uh, verbally committed since October. So you kind of take that for granted and don't maybe hit the, the receiver group as hard as you were going to. But I mean, that's recruiting, man. You, you, you have to, you have to stay on top of it. And it just seems like, and we focus so much on Notre Dame that it, we micro analyze it. And it seems like a Notre Dame acute problem and everybody else doesn't suffer through that. And I'm sure they do, but not, but you know, not the elite programs, uh, not, not to the extent maybe um, that Notre Dame does at times. It's a little bit frustrating. Jumping to a couple other, David Abiara, the defensive uh, end from Mansfield, Texas, things are trending positively for him, uh, for Notre Dame with him. Uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. elevated Chase Claypool to a potential first-round draft choice, which, uh, wow, that may be a little premature, but, I, you know, I, I, I really – he is trending so hard every step of the way. I, 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 wouldn't, be shock, I, I wouldn't be shocked, although I know it's a, it's a deep and quality receiver core. So, uh, I, although I wouldn't be shocked, I still don't anticipate him being a first-round draft choice. I'm with you on Claypool. That man, that for Claypool to be drafted higher than Golden Tate, um, that's it's tough for me to get my head around that. Um, I mean, Claypool is a, a hell of a player, and I'm sure he'll make a good pro. But the the scouting report on him was he was probably going to be a good number two for you. Um, then he ran a four at, four at the four next level. Yeah, it's like there are a lot of four four twos in the NFL. Maybe not a lot two hundred. Well, it's like, I don't know, was he 238 or was he 231? Um, uh, well, he, he weighed he, in at 238, big, but he said he was more like yeah, realistic. Big dude. More like two, yeah, big dude. He's a big dude. Uh, I mean, but hey, second round, high second round, sure. Um, but, but hey, it only takes one. Like with Jerry Tillery last year, he was a first round pick by four spots, right, I think, if right. I'm not mistaken. So, you know, if the Chargers don't take him, then he's an early second round and not really that much different other than the financials of it, which are significant. Um, it only matters to them. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that that's, is a lot. That's, that's something, but yeah, uh, yeah Claypool is, he, he certainly, I'm trying to think of like Notre Dame players who have had as good a draft uh, run up as he has. And probably Miles Boykin last year is the best example where he went from, I mean, what fifth or sixth. Uh, how do yeah. you feel about one of your number one seats versus a six? No, it is. It and, is. Jo- and, and Joe Schmidt registered a serious complaint with his matchup. I, uh, I have to admit, I thought Joe might chime in. Look, the whole thing was organic. I did not rig the matchups. That's what you have to say when you're a committee of one, right? Um, <laughs> but when I saw Joe Schmidt come up one on the 16 line versus Quentin Nelson, I admit I smiled a little yeah. bit, wondering if he was going to uh, – Chime in on his matchup there. He did. But, yeah, he chimed yeah, into yeah. me. <laughs> but look, the, it, what it's become with one through sixteen and two for fifteen. I mean, these are ones, twos, and threes are are legends of the last twenty years for Notre Dame. So they're going to win all the time. It's it was kind of became fun to see how good some of the other guys they were up against were. Like looking at their stats, going back through it. I didn't keep stuffs until we all got together for the two thousand fifteen season. That was the first year. So I went back and did stuffs for guys like Darius Fleming and Justin Tuck and stuff like that. It's how about, Isaac, how about Isaac Rochelle? Yeah, stuff? Isaac Rochelle was in on 40 stuffs, Pete. 
of course, he played 12,000 snaps that year. You were tracking snaps. Yes. So uh, that's, yes. he, he played more snaps than Notre Dame had snaps that season. But, yeah, there's been a lot of blowouts. Like, um, Cal McCarthy had a great year as, as a 2009 fifth-year senior. His stats were out of this world, and he was against Jalen Smith. So I'm not sure if people even finished ah. the Cal McCarthy part on that one. No. But, uh, one's an agent, yeah. one's in the NFL. It, it'll, right. it will get more interesting as we get deeper. Yeah, into like I, uh, Fuller against eleven. Oh, that's a good one. I yeah, do have an 11 seed defeating a 6 seed, though. Yeah, you haven't told me that one yet. I'll wait to see who you say. Yeah, you have an 11 yeah. beating a 6. Pete, if you yeah. haven't seen, the bracket is now up. It's no longer hidden. So the bracket is out there. Okay. Yeah, I've yeah. seen the stories pop up, but I haven't seen the, the full-on yeah. bracket. So I'm going to check that out. Yeah, it's like my I've tried to amuse myself by doing a all-time, or not an all-time, but my time on the beat. Like, basically, your favorite B-side Notre Dame player team. Like, the player you really liked, even though he wasn't, like like Quentin Nelson was not included, right? You can't. Uh, Jalen Smith thing. was not included. So, I, yeah, I post I put out that question. There was a lot of uh, a lot of interest in that response, but uh, the so it was just over the twenty years. But just some highlights: I uh, Jarius Jackson was the quarterback because there was a uh, somebody who followed me on Twitter said uh, on Twitter when I was a sophomore in high school, I was visiting my sister at Notre Dame. When I was in Debartolo to go to class with her and was hungry, I went to the vending machine to get a pop tart. And at the same time, Jarius Jackson was getting the same pastry treat. He gave me a nod of approval, instant favorite. Basically, <laughs> I was looking for that, like that level of connection <laughs> with a Notre Dame player. So that's why you have like Pat Koontz is on here, Eric Olson, um, uh, Chinnam and Duque just for his hit on Calvin Johnson made it. Uh, Trevor Rulin for his uh, the the video that Notre Dame put out about the other players on the offensive line liking him. Um, Vontez Duff because somebody got a picture with him when she was a kid so it was a it was kind of a fun exercise to do as we're all uh, trying to entertain ourselves and entertain our readers in this weird weird time I was disappointed that my chiming in of Evan Sharpley teaching Declan a batting stance did not make him the quarterback <laughs> I missed that and yes that's that seems like uh split his head maybe put his the bat over your head you can drop I, the bat I, and split I, your head I open included- Declan's never forgotten I included Golden Tate on the team only because Golden Tate replied to my tweet wondering like and just with a cough and then a, a gif of him being like, <laughs> yes. why, why am I not on here? So I put O'Malley, it you've got, just O'Malley, for Michigan State band purposes. O'Malley, you work, <laughs> you work with a hitting coach and you're, you're, you're contacting Evan Sharpley. Yeah, he lives up. He, he lives closer to me, man. There's this, <laughs> he, he actually mentioned that he's like, Priester can't do this, but there was a, uh, <laughs> <but yeah. laughs> all right, Jack, sorry. Long segment one coming back. Segment two, burning up the boards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Irish Illustrated Insider. We are in segment two, burning up the boards, and we start with a question from Steve underscore Graberic. How is social distancing affecting the current team and recruitment? I mean, yeah, no. (laughs) I mean, from a team perspective, uh, they have, at this point, in many states, I don't know how many states are in sort of shelter in place like Indiana, but like there, you can't go anywhere to work out. Um, I mean, I can... I spoke to Julian O'Quara yesterday for a story and he, he's actually back in South Bend um, because he couldn't, his, he was working at Exos in Phoenix that had closed. Uh, and then, so he came back here to work out and he can't get into the Goog there. I mean, there's about five or six players here, like uh, Tony Jones, Dante Vaughn, O'Quara. There are maybe three or four others. They have nowhere to work out. They've sort of been like hopping the fence to the rugby field at Notre Dame um and just doing stuff at home so it's i mean pretty much the re- all of Notre Dame's roster basically is in the same boat they're they can't really train in any serious way unless they have a gym in their house and you're not really supposed to train together anyway is the other option you really can't i mean you, you know maybe two people if you're two people and you're living together or something like that if tony jones and dante vaughn are friends and they're living together in south bend but right you're not you're not traveling to get together to do this training so how does it affect the current team? 100% of the time. <laughs> it is yeah, completely and, and every impacting team, everyone. Yeah. Every team in every the country. Team. I yeah. mean, I did a, a 
interview with Sheldon Day uh, a couple of days ago. And, um, you know, he lives in the San Jose area, but he's in Miami. His girlfriend is in law school there and his gym, they just closed. So um, he, he actually, one of the gyms he works out in San Jose is uh, owned by Amir Carlisle and his father. And so Amir sent him like an in-home workout, but what's a, what's a 310 pound defensive yeah. tackle going to do? I mean, unless you yeah. have a gym at home and, uh, you know, a lot of people do. Um, and, and you have to take advantage of that. But this, this is, imagine being a professional football player and you can't have access to a damn weight room. I mean, it's just yeah. it's hard to even, even fathom uh, what a guy does because professional football players, especially linemen, you know, um, the, the, the less quote skilled players depend upon that on a virtual daily basis. Well, I tell you what, they're better off being at home though, the players, because you have room to work out. And I just bring that up. I was watching something on the NBA yesterday. NBA rookies, almost all, no matter how rich they are, live in apartments. You are right. in an apartment. Right. So in a you know. big city without access to any gym whatsoever. Yeah, right. I mean, right. that is just so much different. You know, if you're Sheldon Day, Mike McGlinchey, they may have, you now they're young, but I mean, they may have put a gym in their house just yeah. because they have the this t- ability uh, to do I'm so. Sorry. Tim, uh, ties into the second question. Tim underscore Booney CRS. What's the direction and engagement from Matt Bayless and other strength and conditioning coaches to players regarding training and nutrition? Yeah, I mean, certainly nutrition. That's something that, that Bayless and, and Notre Dame's nutritionists can stay on top of. I'm sure there's yeah. constant communication with that. And in training, I mean, it's more, it's more cardio, right? I mean, you're in a position to do cardio. Everybody's encouraged to go outside. It's going to be almost 60 in South Bend today. Um, so I know <laughs> I know we're getting outside today as much as possible, but um, yeah. there's only so much Matt Bayless can do if they don't have access to, to, to strength and conditioning. Yeah. I mean, nutrition is, is a real issue for some, not for all. I mean, it, it's I'm talking to a couple assistants that used to be at Notre Dame who are now not and about this. And just like, look, we have guys on our team, like they go home, not sure where you're going to get, you know, healthy food at all. Um, never mind staying on top of workouts. I mean, I think Notre Dame is recruiting from a socioeconomic uh, group that probably has more likely to have access to decent nutrition and, and the ability to work out. Um, but that's not true across college football, I think, at large. But uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not really sure what the Matt Bayless plan is that they've sent out. Um, I know that. Uh, there was a story on the athletic that uh, it's like North Carolina, Florida state. Um, there's one other strength program, but essentially sent their workouts to a couple of my colleagues and then they did them. And, you know, Andy Staples was pushing a truck down a street. Um, and, but a lot of it was just like core exercises, find a duffel bag, fill it with books, do, you know, one-legged squats. Unbelievable. That kind of stuff. I mean, you're maintaining the best that you can. And that's, that's just, that's life right now. That's all you can do. I always found it interesting when some Notre Dame coaches would tell us, like, a lot of guys we get here, you have to train to eat. Like, it's not just it, – their their eating habits are so bad that you have yeah. to change them. And when you go home, I mean, you're – unless you're privy to home-cooked great meals, your eating habits are going to wane as a 18- to 22-year-old. You know ours would have, right? I know. I know <laughs> my my eating habits have waned a little bit here in the last week. I mean, you know, you're – you're at My home. drinking habits have improved. Your drink- <laughs> <laughs> they've improved. Yeah, I mean you're it's like more of a volume issue now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, CM- Which leads us to the end of the season drinking. Exactly. Yeah. God, Jesus. The two texted me the other week. If we can just get to the West Drift Hotel in LA, like, at this point, I'll take it. Why would that's the only game this season? Totally veering off, but why would you chug a Guinness? If it meant we were actually in Dublin, I'll do it. Yeah, I was going to say, but it's, it goes down to kind of easy. You don't want to enjoy it, but it, yeah, you know. You know. Well, that's true. It does no, go down true. easier. Guinness, than, de- Guinness definitely yeah. does. PBR, right, like, really yeah. uh, Pete, you're up. Okay, CMU Penns fan. While losing spring practice is definitely not something the football staff would want to happen, how much solace can they take in the fact that they have a fifth-year starting quarterback who knows the playbook inside and out and does not have to worry about undergraduate studies? It's, I mean, it's a good question because if you had, if if Ian Book had decided to turn pro, I mean, you would, they would be fretting tremendously about you know not having a quarterback getting all these reps. Having said that, 
you know, Ian Book is still not getting reps and he's still not getting reps with a bunch of young receivers that he has to develop a rapport with. So, uh, I mean, his top is, you know, basically his top three receivers are gone, right? Uh, yeah. Claypool, yeah. Claypool, yeah. Fink, and Komet. So there's a chemistry that has to be developed there and it's still a concern. But all things being equal, yes, you have a veteran quarterback that understands the offense. He's totally in tune with, with, with Tommy Reese. Um, so they have that going for them. I think the wide receivers really needed spring uh, more than Ian Book, but they needed Ian Book to be part of that. Um, but as Tim pointed out, it's still better than it's Ian Book. You know, they, they could really be in dire straits if you're looking Brendan Clark trying to oh learn God. how to play with their new wide receivers. So, yeah, it, it's it's so odd that you would, you know, they just can't get uh, two wide receivers to work out with Ian Book. It's just crazy that when you think about that, you know, there's so many trying to figure out how they, uh, over the course of summers, how guys get together and really hone their craft, and you can't even do that. So uh, the undergraduate studies thing, I hadn't really thought about. Having a veteran team overall would kind of help going into the uh, into the upcoming fall semester. Yeah, a, a veteran offensive line. Yeah. Think if you, had, if you were replacing three starters or four starters on the O-line, coaches would be going crazy. I mean, right. I'm sure they are. They are anyway, but – um, it would be warranted. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, Pete made a good point about the offensive line. Um, we were, I think, we were just talking at practice. This isn't the offensive line because they're all they're all out. Well, that's in, in true. some in yeah. some manner. Robert Hainsey, Tommy <clears throat> Kramer, and Aaron Banks weren't participating anyway, so the cohesion wasn't going to happen. It was more. It was it was a, along the lines of developing some young guys and, and giving Josh Lug his chance. But yeah, it's. I never thought about the undergraduate study route. That's true. You have a veteran team. It helps a little bit when you get back. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine if this was? 2010 this is brian kelly's right. first spring i mean this is what's happening at boston college Mississippi exactly state, boston washington college. state etc like those teams are in a world of of hurt athletically right now i mean notre dame at least has its sort of culture up and running right now i, I do think for reese it's significant um yeah organization play yeah. calling scripting leadership all that kind of stuff i mean this is this is sort of his a dry run more significant than the, the camping world bowl, in my opinion. Um, and to, to lose that is, is significant. It's not like you can't overcome it, but it's a, uh, it's a, it, that, that might be Notre Dame's biggest loss to me is the fact that Reese doesn't have the experience of running the whole operation for an yeah. entire spring practice. I think, schedule. I think that's an excellent point. Uh, Mac three forty one. What happened with Dion Colsey decommitting? You think we have a legitimate chance to get him back? I don't have a great insight on it. It sounds like maybe he wanted a little bit more love from Notre Dame staff than what was being shown. However, um, does that factor into Notre Dame getting him back? Certainly his mom and his family member, or yeah, mostly his mom wanted him at Notre Dame. I mean, he's at a pretty high-end private school uh, in Athens, Georgia. So that helps a little bit. Unfortunately, he's still in Athens, Georgia, um, which is, significant in a different way if he ends up just down the road with Kirby Smart. How can you how can yeah, you not be vigilant with a with the potential of an athlete like that that lives in Athens Athens Georgia? I mean, I don't know, you say he wanted more love. Did he want more love or did he just want more communication because what I'm hearing is that he just didn't feel like they were communicating well enough. Yeah. And that those is, are just, synony- those just, are like synonymous with me. Okay. Uh, I mean, not, that, that's yeah. just that's inexcusable. That if that right. is the case, and I'm not saying that that is absolutely the case, but if it is, it's inexcusable. I mean, come on how how many years into the Brian Kelly regime before you before you? I mean, this that's recruiting one on one stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's recruiting one on one stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and as, as annoyed as we could be about someone needing a committed player, committed quote unquote, needing love or needing constant text and support. If it's reality, it's reality. And as a coaching staff, you have to follow that reality. Like you can you be, read the room. Yeah, we do have room. to. Everybody listening can say, well, that's really annoying. Who needs him? Well, you know what? Notre Dame needs him. And it is annoying. It is annoying. Just don't, you just don't bring this up. Don't, don't bring up, well, that was really annoying after the Ohio State game in a couple right. of years. Yeah. Or after Clemson a few years down the road. Because that, that's when you're going to be like, man, Deion Colty really would have helped the roster. And again, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I sound like I'm saying Notre Dame blew this, and I, and I don't, I don't know that for sure. But I have been doing this for 38 years, and I've heard a lot of, a lot of recruiting stories where, you know, this recruit they just weren't vigilant enough, 
And if that is the case, that's that's just completely inexcusable. There there should be a system, right? I mean, yes. okay, we have a we have a committed wide receiver since October. This is how we're going to handle his commitment and our communication with him every step of the way. I'm sure they have something like that in place, and I'm probably overreacting to this. But again, 38 years of seeing this, I, I know it's not an overreaction because I know it's happened before. Epic Texas. It seems like Tyler Buckner is trending to be Notre Dame's best QB recruit since Jimmy Clausen. Why isn't that attracting more five-star receivers? Is Dell Alexander another Todd Light position coach, but with subpar recruiting? Well, Notre Dame doesn't get a whole lot of five-star rec- receivers. Um, and I don't know how Jordan many. Johnson re- was one. I mean, just well, because that's he, true. he got bumped no, down true. doesn't mean he's not. Yeah, I, yeah. I always yeah. consider him a four-star, but he's a great prospect. There's no doubt. Um, You know, I don't – how many recruits really hone in on, okay, this quarterback's capable of doing that, so I'm going to go to that school. I'm sure probably more than I'm acknowledging right now. Uh, And Adele Alexander is not a great recruiter. Uh, Pete, can you comment to that? I I mean, I don't think he's a great recruiter, but um, he's certainly a solid recruiter. I think is is better than that, but – Look, it's Buckner is recruiting that maybe in this class. Um, I, I I think that they're going to go to schools with great quarterback prospects doesn't doesn't really add up. Um, you know, except in the case that like Jimmy Clausen would have been the exception to that because he was number one overall. You knew who he was since eighth grade. Uh, I mean, Tyler Buckner isn't even the number one quarterback in this class, which isn't to say that he's not a great prospect. But he's he doesn't have the sway of what Clawson did um, in 2009 when I think they were just sort of like I think he may have even helped with uh, Michael Floyd a year earlier in uh, his recruitment if I'm not mistaken it's um, you know that that's a different situation so I I don't know it it's a difficult um, it's a difficult spot for for Buckner to put it on him and say like this is you know they need him to be more involved or this should have more of an impact I think that these kids are all making decisions for their own reasons and I mean Georgia has a five-star quarterback committed now too who I think is higher than Tyler Buckner as well so if Deion Colsey ends up there is that situation uh next up we got coach Parsley one what receivers will start this fall is freshman Jordan Johnson a lock he's not he's a lock (laughs) he's a lock to be on the roster he's a lock to be in the mix See, uh, Coach Parsley, one, you have to subscribe to Irish Illustrated. You wouldn't ask a question like this. <laughs> Tim, fill him in on who the starting Yeah, I mean, at this point, you would assume Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay uh, going into spring would have been the staff's choices, and coming out of spring, they would have been as well. Uh, that, that's where the talent lies. Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay are the top two. And then, I mean, then it, it's I keep harping on the fact that I think it depends on what style of offense Notre Dame goes to because Lawrence Keyes could be your slot receiver, but if you want to be a bigger offense and a little bit power oriented offense, which I think they might have to do this year, you're in a two tight end set. And then is Lawrence Keyes your first receiver off the bench or has it become somebody else? I mean, maybe that's when to be fair to the question, can Jordan Johnson get in there ahead of a junior Lawrence Keyes in that he's just bigger and more talented. Yeah. He can certainly get in ahead of Joe Wilkins, right? I mean, Joe Wilkins has not made the impact that would say he has a leg up on Jordan Johnson, but I mean. Yeah. I, I think after the guys that you mentioned, Jordan Johnson can be right there to compete for playing time. I mean, really yeah. after, oh, sure. after sure. Austin and Lindsay. I agree. Yeah. And Watts yeah. lost his, uh, his leg up coming in the spring. Right, because of I mean, that was that practice. was his leg up on Jordan Johnson was getting involved in the offense. I just think in the rotation would be a win for Jordan Johnson. Yes, yeah, and the and the, we we say this every single year, but the rotation could be deeper too. Well, I mean, it's certainly something that they're shooting for. I don't think Tommy Trumbull. You know, Tim, you mentioned about tight ends. Tommy Trumbull's not going to come off the field a whole lot. No, and and when I say two tight ends, you know, I was assuming Tommy Trumbull, but that gets Brock Wright on for a power-oriented offense. And and I've still, we didn't see any hint of this in the first practice. There's only been one practice, but um, I still thought 
that Jafar Armstrong could be a slot option if they like what they had in the backfield, just because it, look, he's, I mean, he was a viable slot receiver until he went down with that first injury in 2018 at Wake Forest. He was making plays that first month. And he, you know, I'm probably jumping the gun just because he didn't look good while injured last year, looked a little stiff running the ball. But I think it's wide open who comes in after Lindsey and Kevin Austin. And boy, does Notre Dame need Braden Lindsey and Kevin Austin to be good players next year. Yeah, Jafar Armstrong absolutely plays a role in the slot. There, you, you have to. That's a maximization of, of your skill set. Question from Paul Reavers. Will there be a game in Dublin? If not, assuming the season is not canceled or delayed, where do you think it will be? I don't know if it'll be a game in Dublin. I, I would lean towards at this point. Yes. With conviction. Wow. With no, with no conviction. <laughs> with no conviction. But it's, it's sure. far enough off where, I mean, if travel reopens and the season is going on, then it would come down to the situation in Ireland more than anything else, right? I mean, completely. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, you have, you have travel. You have all the fans yeah. that have been that have been planning to go there. You have to, you really have to keep that in mind because you I don't know, know if they, I mean, I mean more, it would come down to the country, how Ireland is handling the coronavirus, right. not anything that we the just, money has to do with it. I mean, it's know? March. It is. It, we, That's we why I lean towards yes, because it's March. Exactly. Yeah. We need a little bit of good news. If it was June, I would say, are you kidding? No, there's that. That's not happening. It's like the SEC hasn't fully postponed spring practice. It doesn't matter. They're not going to have spring practice. They cannot fully postpone it all they want. They will right. not have spring practice. It's to me. I'm interested. Notre Dame is basically, I think, canceled all university travel abroad through August 1st. That's pretty close to the game itself. It sure is. is. It is. So, so where I, would my, they? Where would I'm, they play? I'm just I, no. I, okay, I don't, and I, and I, I don't. don't I don't. Yeah. I. I. I mean, I'm. I'm on board with the possibility of that. So do you find do. another stadium or does Navy just say, okay, we'll play at Notre Dame stadium for the second year in a row. And then we'll, we'll work out the schedule from there moving forward. Maybe have this a good is the time to do it in Annapolis. I, oh, I was going to say, I would love that. That, that. That's I, that to me, that's a, that's a bucket list type venue. I know not everybody would look at it that way, but I think that that would be really, really cool. Yeah. I don't know if, Notre Dame would be totally – I don't know if Jack Swarbrick and Notre Dame would be totally against that. Under the you know? circumstances. Under the circumstances, yeah. No, I, I, they'd be totally against it under other circumstances, but it's yeah. almost like an olive branch, too, to, to have something unique about the game and not just host it again at Notre Dame Stadium. Dick Barone, CEO, who was or is Brian Kelly's best assistant coach? Uh, not Charlie Molnar. Wow, we're gonna we're gonna delete people first. Wow, he was first to delete too. <laughs> well, I mean, there's another first, guy on defense. He was his first offensive first. coordinator. Yeah, not <laughs> not Brian Van Gorder. Okay, uh, I probably should have started. Probably should have led with him, huh? Yeah, a good variety. Hey, spice I, of I life. Mean, you guys, you guys did your top ten not that long ago, and I thought it was a good top ten with Elston. You had Elston one, Lee two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think I had Lee two. Yeah, I mean it was. I think I had Lee three, and I think I, think I had him two, so. and I think he won the. He won the, the tiebreaker. The tiebreaker with two. <laughs> I votes. think that's that's fine. I, you know, you could make an argument for Lee number one. I think there's probably some recency bias, but like, yeah, in some ways, Elston. How many points do you give him for kind of the the decade of achievement? Because um, that's significant too, um, you know, particularly where the defensive line has gone over the last three yeah. years. So, I'll I'll give Elston the nod at number one, and Lee stick him at number two. I gave I that's why I gave Elston the nod. Just the the trajectory of the defensive line, as you, I think Pete pointed out a couple of months ago. Who in the world would have been able to say that the defensive line at Notre Dame is their arguably their best unit three years in a row? That's it's, amazing. It's, the reason yeah. for 33 victories in the last three years is as much on the defensive yeah. line production as any position, hands down, not close, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you saw what he could do as a as a emergency coordinator taking over the rudderless sinking ship in 2016. They became viable defensively, right? They stopped people with living, breathing quarterbacks all of a sudden. Yeah. It was a good effort by him in 2016. He had no chance. He just threw him into there. Along with Greg Hudson. Sorry, how do I want to make sure I give credit? Well, yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, Greg Hudson was in name defensive coordinator, but 
Mike Elston, you know, he's a Brian Kelly guy. He understood the system. He knew what he wanted to do. And it was really, it was really Mike Elston that was, was driving the defense. Let's just say that Jerron Jones, after the USC game, when he said, you have to keep Mike Elston as defensive coordinator, spoke volumes of who the defensive <laughs> yes. coordinator was at that point yes. <laughs> in, the, in the hallway right. of the Coliseum. Yes. All right. This, this one is exclusively for you guys since you covered him or watched him. Uh, Brett Hartman. He wants to know Derek Mays, overrated, underrated, or properly rated at Notre Dame. Tim? Uh, I think, I mean, if you're trying to look, if you were trying to use stats, he would be way underrated um, because the stats just look better nowadays. Well, I know play that. Free, he played free, played under Luke Bolt, so. Yeah, uh, Derek Mays is arguably the best pure receiver I've seen at Notre Dame, so I would say he's underrated in terms of catching the ball and making plays downfield. Now, 50, he didn't 50, have Tim Brown, Rocket, Tate. Running ability, but like just catching the ball, Mace. Now he was a big receiver. I don't know what he ran the forty in. He probably hung around the NFL a little bit longer than his numbers indicated or should have indicated. But in terms of, I mean, is there a better? I don't know that I want to go there. But I mean, in terms of of fifty fifty balls, they were yeah. ninety. They were ninety ten with him, man. And he was just a pure receiver. I remember reading in a uh, season preview, and I think maybe Tim Priest or Lou Samoji wrote it for Blue and Gold, that Derek Mays was the nephew of Mark Clayton of the Dolphins. I remember thinking to myself, good. He knows, how to, he knows how to catch. He knows how to play out there. And he was just a natural player whenever they could feature him in the passing game. And I think it was Samoji that said, uh, Derek Mays always bugged Lou Holtz to return punts, and they never put him back there because he just wasn't a burner. And they put him back there against Florida State in the bowl game and returned a punt for a touchdown. He just came to the sideline like, see, I, I should have been returning punts this entire time. So I think we also underrate him as an athlete just because uh, his nickname was uh, Doughboy. Going yeah, back he was big, man. He, he, had, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't on the Bayless plan, though, man. No, he, he, he definitely carried some extra pounds. But, you know, he was also a uh, – he was just a very charismatic football player. Uh, and as he started to excel, the interview process with him became – that much more entertaining because man, he totally believed that he was a big time player and he was. Well, when you guys are proven right and there's no game in Dublin, I will do a uh, 90s tournament countdown on Irish Illustrated. We'll get Mays in there. So we'll have nothing to talk about. That'd be great. Uh, Question from Rich Marazzi. What's the deal with the men's basketball recruiting? I don't see any tenacity in recruiting and following up with guys in the transfer portal. Is Jack Swarbrick really okay with this malaise, the program seems to be stuck in. What is the deal with men's basketball recruiting? I kick it to you guys. It's, uh, it's malaise it's, is a good it's, word. It's grad transfers and South Bend high school players for next year. Basically, we're going to Irish Illustrated is we're a little bit behind in our basketball recruiting coverage, and I intend to, to rectify that here fairly soon. But you can't be behind something that doesn't exist, though, Tim. Also. Well, that's why, that that's why I'm that's behind, true. or that's, that's right. why it hasn't been covered, because it's, it's, uh, it's not a topic that offers a lot of optimism or fresh news. Uh, now, as far as the malaise of the program, they were 3-15, and 15 and now they went 10-10. and 10. They didn't beat anybody any good. But, I mean, they're, it's clearly the last segment of the season was clearly a program yeah. On the rise. And they weren't going to, I think we did this in a previous podcast or said this, they weren't going to make the NCAA tournament, but as the season was coming to a cl- conclusion, they were, if you didn't, if you threw out records, they were, they were a team from the ACC that probably deserved to be in the NCAA tournament minus the resume. However, they had, they had some opportunities coming up in the, in yes, the ACC tournament that of course were, were squashed. And let me, I want to ask you this because I got into this uh, just a back and forth with Tom Noe, who covers men's basketball for the South Bend Tribune on Twitter. He described this season as successful. And I was like, uh, I'll give you improved. But it, I sort of, the way I described it, it was like if in 2017 Notre Dame had gone seven and five, that would have been improved, but it wouldn't have been successful. Do you, how do you? Progress. The description. I, yeah. Of, yeah. I, okay. Progress I, is good. Right. I agree with you. I think they made significant progress because at the end of the season, everybody in the rotation, all six, <laughs> were playing really, really for them. We're playing their best basketball, pretty much. Right. Yeah. yeah, they, yeah. they definitely. They're they, playing they, better. 
they definitely made progress. They were definitely a viable NCAA tournament team if for some reason – look, let's, if they just beat Florida State in one of the two games that comes down right. to the buzzer, they're 11-9 and nine and they probably get in <laughs> because they won a ACC tournament game. doesn't make you a better team because you win one of those games. They were a viable NCAA tournament team with a bunch of bad teams in the ACC. The year before, they were absolutely terrible. It is certainly progress. I don't know if it's a success. Um, well, you can argue anything now because they, they won their last game. But I don't know if it's a success. I, I think, Pete, I thought you were going to say when you said 2016-17, instead of using the football analogy, you'd have said, okay, remember when Notre Dame made the Elite Eight, the Elite Eight, and the NCAA tournament second round, would this season be a success right after that? Which is kind of what they had. The Bonzi Colson, Matt Farrell year where they're always hurt. That wasn't a success. Oh. That wasn't a success. It was unfortunate that the guys got hurt. It would have been right. a success. It would have been a success, but you can't look at that and say, ah, 10 and 10, they fought through it's a success. It was just, no, there was special circumstances to this team. And I maybe I harp on this too much because they were terrible in December, and I was really glad Mike Bray said it because I thought maybe I said it too often. They stunk. They were still just as bad, and they were not bad anymore. The issue is they lose their best player, and they're not replacing with anybody. Yeah, I don't see how they can be better than they than they were at the end of – this season the, the the final part of that question is is Jack Swarbrick really okay with the malaise of the program I, I think that Jack Swarbrick is okay with Mike Bray playing this out yeah I that agree. would mean that would mean a maximum of two years I mean his contract runs through 2024-25 does it not you know what? It does. Uh, it does. Does it? But I don't think that uh, – it's still playing it out, I think, in, in terms of real world. Like Mike Bray's last class would be this the, current, the rising juniors, the, the class that was supposed to be very good coming in as freshmen. I mean, if they don't two go to the years, NCAA, Yeah, two more years. You don't go to the right. NCAA tournament, you don't go to the NCAA tournament. That's playing it out. I mean, right? You've, you've played it out by not making the NCAA tournament over the next two years, too. Man, that is just that a be, super – that is a very dangerous game with your roster because eliminate that the rising junior class. What is that roster going to look like the way that they're recruiting right now? Oh, yeah, no. They're not, they're, I, I don't, you know, okay. First of all, the ACC, everything's cyclical in the ACC and it was as bad as we've ever seen. I've said that 50 times. <laughs> That's now 51. Um, but the ACC will bounce back, right? I mean, if it's yes. a young league. <laughs> they're not all going to have well, bad right, players next year. Right. North Carolina <laughs> is going to be a lot better. They're not going to finish last. So the league will roll back. But Notre Dame probably won't, considering the makeup of their roster, without Mooney and TJ Gibbs and Rex Luger. I, I, and Mooney's I the key there. Like I've said before, you know, TJ Gibbs had a good year, um, and Rex Luger was undervalued by people that just watched part of the game. But you got to be able to replace T.J. Gibbs and Rex Fluger if you're if you're right. Notre Dame basketball okay. program. And Mooney is not getting replaced. And who leads who leads that team? Who are the leaders of that team next year? Yeah. It's not Jawan Durham. No, they don't have a senior leader. They won't. You They'll know, be named I mean, the captain because it's like giving out tips in Vegas. You just get to be a captain if you're a senior. Dane Goodwin yeah. will be named a senior, Gibbs, a, a, a junior or captain. Named a captain as a junior. You're right because he's a mature guy. But I mean, is he a I mean, he's kind of a Steve Astoria type personality a little bit too, and whatever we're we spending to too much time. We, tub, like yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah, we've got another basketball question. So Tim from, <laughs> yeah, from Gerard, if Mike Bray does decide to step down as Notre Dame's basketball coach this year or in the next year or two, who would be your top three choices to replace him? This year, I, I can answer my question right now. John, John, John Beeline. Beeline would be yeah. my number one choice to replace. He's all, he obviously is an older coach, but he's a great college coach, yeah. and he would be, <laughs> and he's available. I, you know, I, I was really impressed with, I don't know if I've said this before, but I was really impressed with Pat Chambers at, at uh, Penn State when they came in in the injury plague season that you were talking about, Tim. And, yeah. And, and I know Penn State was just in the NIT, but now they were, they were a front runner in the Big Ten this past year. It seemed like every time I tuned in to them on TV, though, they were getting their butts kicked. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that this is a full endorsement, but I – I was really impressed seeing up close Pat Chambers' Penn State team, um, the physicality with which they played and the cohesiveness with which they played, and they're, they're a better team since then. I agree with those. I mean, 
you have to mention Inglesby just for the sake of like, okay, sure. what has Delaware done since he left? They have not mm-hmm. made the tournament. They have not won the league, but they've improved their win total every year that he's been there. Um, needs to make the tournament to, to make yeah, this I don't kind think of jump. It's, yeah. Having studied what he's done, and you're right, they've gotten better. And then I believe they lost uh, in the first round of the uh, so, uh, they made the semis. Okay, they, so they won yeah, they made the semis. My concern with they played terribly and lost. Yeah, my yeah. concern with Inglesby would be more of not the level jump in coaching, but the low. I mean, can he recruit to the ACC for Notre Dame to get back to where fans want them to be, which is realistically the fifth, you know, fighting for fifth place in the ACC and then breaking through once yeah. in a while. That, How about Chris Quinn? Yeah, I mean that would be high on the list too, right? Like yeah. I, I don't, I, I am much less versed in like where he is as a coach. The the only vibe that I got from him is that he may be in line for an NBA head job at some point in the near future. So that's, you're going to do that opposed to going back to Notre Dame. But I don't, I, that would be, I think Notre Dame would be foolish not to reach out on that one. Yeah, I would agree. But again, recruiting, you know, getting you know, players, he's been, he's players. been in the NBA. Yeah, he's been, I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's been in the NBA since he left Notre Dame as a player and then a coach. So that's fine. I mean, Hey, where, where do uh, <laughs> high school prospects want to go? The NBA. You know, <laughs> well, that's like true. Joan, Joan Howard is recruiting just fine. But you don't remember. Yeah, the John, names yeah, was, You're not tuned into the John McLeod era at Notre Dame, which <laughs> it's, it's apples and oranges. I get that. But uh, yeah. Anyway, right. uh, Pete, let's finish up with one more. Wrap question. up with cam slam savage. And he wants to know when will this season shirt be unveiled? I was going to make a complete joke out of this because <laughs> you didn't read the email. That's I didn't fine. see the email. There's information out on the shirt, man. Yeah. You can pre-order the shirt now. Um, and if you place your order by eight, you can place your order by April 3rd. Um, however, through this Notre Dame club of St. Joe Valley, they are not accepting check payments this year for safety issues. Um and yet, it's free shipping if you pick your shirt up in person at a future Notre Dame St. Joe St. Joe Valley Club event. So, I don't know what the shirt's going to look like, but there's not going to be the big reveal reveal at Eddie Street Commons before the Blue Bowl game doesn't exist. No, Hopefully, it will not be a collector's edition shirt like my George, my by George. It's O'Leary when they hired O'Leary. I still have that uh, shirt my dad sent me. So that is a collector's is it edition fit? shirt. I bet it doesn't fit. <laughs> well, I mean, wow. I was an adult. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time ago. Man. I will wear that for the next podcast. How's that? All right. Yeah, and speaking of next podcast, not exactly sure when it's coming. Uh, it may be two <laughs> weeks, but with our remote hookup, which is probably ultimately going to become our permanent way of handling the podcast, depending upon how this one ends up, uh, we may have something. Jack, do you have any uh, opinion on that? He's on mute. Oh, uh, here we, we go. Can do one in two weeks. Okay, we're <laughs> looking at two weeks. Here. Whether it's uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe a Thursday instead of a Wednesday, but we'll uh, subscribe to Irish Illustrated, and you'll have all that information as to when the next one is. I say that a lot, don't I? All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate uh, everybody that's listening. We appreciate it, and join us again next time for Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.